What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 90 of the Deep Ball Gridiron Edition. I'm your host, Anthony Paolo, joined, of course, by my co-host, Corey Lickman. And, Cor, it's been too long since we hopped back on the pod to talk some ball. NFL draft just happened this past week. We finally got on the right schedule together, you know, finals week. Sometimes it's just hard to juggle life in the pod sometimes, but you know what? We're here yeah. to talk NFL draft talk some of the league news as well that's been around the league and yeah i'm just excited because nfl draft day i mean the three-day event that it's become the thursday friday and the saturday is just it is really one of three of the most important days of the nfl year uh now obviously in may and june you have some otas and rookie otas gets a little bit quiet but yeah the nfl draft is an awesome time obviously months of preparing with mock drafts for the fans to get up to speed watching piper and mcshay go at it on espn and us debated as well. But, yeah, I'm excited to finally recap the NFL draft because, of course, it was action-packed. And, yeah, I just, I just love the draft. Yeah, the draft, definitely a great event, like you said, three days, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And, yeah, I mean, this year in Kansas City, I, I know these guys are doing it outdoors. I, I realized, like, midway through the first round. But, yeah, it was a good event, some 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 good talent drafted. And, yeah, I mean, it's been it's been a while. So uh, it's good it's good to be back. Yeah, let me first start off with that and the draft venue. As I tell Kansas City, a great host. I always wonder, like, I know there's, like, a selection process to get chosen to be, like, those fans, right? Because each team has, like, their own section of fans. That way it's, like, they could show the camera. It's so funny when, like, because 99% of those people have no clue who, like, the day two picks are. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. just funny when, like, Keandre Miller, just because I have him right in front of me, TCU running back. When he goes to the Saints in the third round, they probably showed the Saints fans. They got no clue who he is, but they go wild because that's their job. You know what I mean? Like, I love the little fan pitch that they got there, but everybody was excited. We'll start with the top of the draft first. Of course, you hear NFL draft, the first thing you think of, uh, who are the new quarterbacks and where did they go? We had three quarterbacks go in the first round, which is very surprising to almost everybody. I mean, if you would have told people there was only three quarterbacks in the first round on the day of the draft, they would have been shocked. Bryce Young goes number one. We'll start with that first to Carolina. Not really too surprising. At first, when the trade was made between Carolina and the Bears, it seemed like C.J. Stroud was going to be the number one pick. But as the pre-draft process continued on, Young was the evident number one pick, if you ask me. I think if he was 6'2", he would be claimed this generational talent. Obviously, his lack of height at only 5'10 and a half, I believe it is, is the specific. Scares some teams, maybe not the elite arm that you'd want but from a processing standpoint there's nobody better and really in the past couple of years I mean even if you look at the prospects of Burrow, Lawrence like young surplants these guys when it comes to in the pocket processing and even improvising to that much of a sense I know he has his limitations and stuff like that but I think Carolina they traded up a lot but I, I think this is a pretty safe pick and stuff like that I'd be shocked if Bryce Young isn't met with tons of success in the NFL despite his stature I mean again he killed it at Alabama his two years as a starting quarterback, Heisman Trophy winner there. So, yeah, I'm excited to see what he can do in Carolina. Maybe necessarily doesn't have the best supporting group, but this past year at Alabama, he proved that's no problem because, I mean, they didn't really have a ton of great weapons on the outside. He had Jameer Gibbs in the backfield, late two at tight end, but their receivers are kind of lacking from a typical Alabama squad. Yeah, I mean, Bryce Young, I think towards when we got closer to – Draft day, it was kind of he was kind of like the overwhelming favorite. Even though we saw this guy on Reddit try to uh, try to say Will Levis was gonna go was gonna go first, but yeah, I mean Bryce Young, 
during his time at Bama, obviously didn't win a national championship. I mean, like, he wasn't the starter when they won a national championship. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, you look at, like, Bama. They had Jamison Williams, um, Mechie. Yeah, the weapons weren't great at Bama during his time. Like, it wasn't like he had Devontae Smith and that, like, that squad with Jalen Waddle. But, yeah, I mean, Bryce Young obviously put his skills on display at Bama. And I think, I mean, the, 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 when the Panthers move up to the first pick, you're hoping they can go out and uh, secure their franchise quarterback. And, yeah, I think Bryce Young will, will be a good pro. Do I think he's going to be the best quarterback in this draft? No, we'll get into that. But, yeah, I mean, first pick, Bryce Young, I, I think is uh, – yeah, I think, I think it was a good pick. All right, you said maybe Bryce Young won't be the best quarterback in this class. Well, let's now talk about the other two quarterbacks who went in the first round. C.J. Stroud at number two will go with first. Both of these quarterbacks going to the AFC South. Stroud was, like, he was high, obviously, in the pre-draft. Right? Like I said, right when the Panthers traded for the number one pick, he was the favorite. And then a lot of leaks came out about Stroud potentially not looking great on the S2 test and some other concerns. But maybe, who knows, the Texans told him, don't really worry too much about it. You're our guy at number two. He proved to be, even with all the betting odds changing up until the last minute, Stroud was pretty much an underdog for the number two pick, especially at the quarterback position. But he goes to Houston at number two, obviously had two real good years as a starter in Ohio State. I think the big deal for him will be how much of it was within the system and with the receivers that he worked with compared to now maybe being asked to improvise in the NFL and not playing with those Garrett Wilsons or Chris Olaves or Marvin Harrison Jr., Jackson Smith and the Jig. But like when he goes down to Houston, he doesn't have those weapons and how dominant they were on the outside. He looked great in that college football semifinal game against Georgia. I think that was definitely his best game that he put together on film, especially against that level of competition. So I'm excited to see what Stroud ultimately Houston kind of went back and forth. You even saw that they maybe not take a quarterback, but I think Stroud going quarterback was definitely the right direction. I think you could argue maybe should it have been Stroud or somebody else. I don't know, but I think Stroud's a more than deserving pick for the number two spot here. Yeah. When you look at Ohio state quarterbacks, I mean, I'm just going to refer to like the most recent one. Yeah. Justin Fields, like these guys, when they're on Ohio state, they're, they're great talents, but like their numbers are always really good. I think if you look, like the last few years, like just the depth of, of receivers, like Ohio State, like you said, like they just produce absolute studs on the outside, like Olave, Garrett Wilson, Najigba, Marvin Harrison Jr. Even like Jamison Williams was there. There's more guys I'm not even saying. So I think the problem for Ohio State quarterbacks is like when they go to the league, you know, like Justin Fields going to the Bears, this guy, just CJ Stroud going to the Texans, like it's just big, big, like, decrease in talent in perspective like what league you're playing at so I mean yeah I'm curious to see how CJ Stroud could play in with the Texans but yeah I mean the Texans obviously I think had to go quarterback uh I don't think Davis Mills is the answer for for them at QB so I mean Stroud has a really good arm and I don't know I think that test I'm not sure how much that's really going to like that would dictate my decision. Like, obviously, it's important, but he's proven at, at a division one level in college football playoff that he's able he's able to be successful. So I don't think that should be a big problem. Obviously, I, I know like the memes were funny, but I mean, Stroud at two, 
I think, a good pick. But, yeah, I still don't think this will be the best quarterback in this draft. That's 100% of a fair take. We'll talk in a little bit about the Texans and what else they did in this draft, not only to secure their franchise quarterback, but hopefully a franchise cornerstone on the defensive side of the ball. Core, we will move on to the next team that took a quarterback, and that was the Indianapolis Colts taking Anthony Richardson at number four. For those of you who haven't really listened to too much of the podcast, I have been a day one Anthony Richardson supporter ever since I saw him last year at Florida and his dominance early in the year, even kind of splitting time with Emory Jones. This past year with Billy Napier, had its highs and its lows, had that great opening game against Utah, had a tough game then to follow it with Kentucky. He showed a lot of flashes. Again, the highs and lows are there. Going to Indianapolis with Shane Steichen was a dream spot. Steichen helped develop Justin Herbert and helped him win rookie of the year. Then goes to Philadelphia with Jalen Hurts. What people don't understand, like people could say Richardson isn't necessarily ready as a thrower, which is 100% fair. One, he played in the SEC, so it's fair. It's unfair to like compare him to maybe past quarterbacks on their struggles. Like the SEC is probably the most, I don't want to say the most comparable conference, but you know what I mean? You're playing on that same town on the outside. Like those, those are NFL prospect corners more so week in and week out than you get in maybe the Big Ten or the Big 12. So I think that definitely helps him in NFL style defenses as well. Also, with that, he is going to be arguably a top three runner, I will say, at the quarterback position day one. That's how athletically gifted this kid is outside of Lamar. And I, I get, like, I think who would I rather have as a rushing court? Like, who's a better runner as a quarterback? Anthony Richardson or, like, Fields and Hurts? Like, I think they're all debatable, which is crazy to say when Richardson hasn't even stepped onto the field. I think that is going to help him so much early on in his development, and that's going to just open up so many lane throwing lanes for him. I think playing – with the Colts as well, with Jonathan Taylor in the backfield, Michael Pittman, they brought in a real nice receiver, Josh Downs in this draft. They have to fix their offensive line a little bit. It was kind of a mess last year. Corey, you've been alluding to the fact that neither of the first two quarterbacks would be the best in the class. It was pretty obvious to a lot of people that Richardson would be kind of a boomer bust guy. I think this guy, I would have probably, if I was a GM, I know it's easier said than done, I would have put my eggs in this kid's basket. I think the talent and the upside is so immense that you just cannot pass it up. Like I said, he's only had 13 starts in his college career, so I think it would be a bad idea for the Colts to sit him. I don't think the, the Colts don't have Super Bowl aspirations this year. I know they just signed Gardner Minshew, but let this kid play. He needs to develop more, and that's only going to happen by playing at NFL game speed. So, yeah, I'm so excited to see what Anthony Richardson brings to the table. And, yeah, hopefully he can have loads of success in the NFL. And I think Indianapolis did really get it right at the quarterback position. After years of trying this veteran stopgap, I think this was the perfect move for them. Yeah, I think the Colts finally got it and, and understood. And, yeah, I think Anthony Richardson, like you said, is boomer bust. I mean, you look at Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, maybe those guys are more more polished coming into the NFL compared to Anthony Richardson. But, I mean, you look at, like, potential. I, I think Anthony Richardson's ceiling is is kind of off the charts. I mean, you look at a guy who's 6'4", 230, runs a 4'4", runs a like, maybe as a thrower he's – not like polished, but he still has a cannon. And you put him in with with Shane Steichen, who obviously you said developed Justin Herbert, and then just was with J- Jalen Hurts, who I'm not going to say that Richardson and Hurts are, are similar, but they're both like big, like physical runners. I think Richardson probably has a, definitely has a better arm than, than Jalen Hurts. But, yeah, I think Anthony Richardson at four was a great pick for the Colts. And if you have confidence in your, you know, like you're just coaching staff to develop a young guy, I mean, like, I, I 
You know, I mean, he could be a bust, but I, I don't see it happening. You know what else? This guy's little brother is, is literally <laughs> 13. You know, it looks like he's like little, like little twin guy's voice is deep has a little like neck tattoo. I mean, I don't know. Uh, Anthony Richardson, you look at this guy. I just think he seems for real um, in, in the modern day NFL. I, I don't think this guy's going to be a bust. I think he's going to be a future superstar in this league. He just has too many. I think it's just measurables are just like too off the charts, in my opinion, for him to be a bust. Like if he's a bust, I think the Colts got to like scratch their head because I just think this guy's got it and he, he's a future star in this league. Yeah, once I started to hear that Richardson was interviewing really well around teams and they loved him, he even scored pretty well on that S2 test for what it's worth. I think that that just speaks that much highly more of Anthony Richardson and just, like, your confidence in him. And I love what you said, too, Core. Like, when you're going to draft a guy and stuff like that, you don't just draft guys in the NFL and just, like, anticipate that's the player you get. You project these guys down the road, and hopefully who who can you mold to be the best player for your franchise two, three, four years down the road. So I think Richardson definitely is a bet on the coaches' developmental – the Colts' developmental staff. And for their sake, I really hope – they they hit a home run here because like you look around the NFC the AFC and some of the quarterbacks in that conference you need a stud at the quarterback position even in their own division Trevor Lawrence looks like he's well on his way to leading Jacksonville for the next decade right so just in your division you're gonna have to go rival Trevor Lawrence and stuff like that so hopefully Anthony Richardson is that guy like I said I hope that they play him right away and we'll mention the last guy core who I don't think anybody could have had this guy falling out of the first round now a lot of people were kind of like. Hot and cold with Will Levis. Some people love how he was big. He's this tough quarterback who could run a little bit. He's got this cannon for an arm. Other people didn't love the turnovers, didn't love how in 2022 he looked like a shell of himself from 2021 now. In 2022, he was banged up. He also didn't have his running back for the first couple of games. He lost Wondell Robinson to the draft, lost his offensive coordinator. Like A lot of things are working against Will Levis in 2022. But that's still – if you ask me, shouldn't have had him on the board at 33. Him going to the Tennessee Titans, I think, is a great move for the Titans. Tannehill has no guaranteed money after this year. And for a Titans team that it looked like their future looked really bleak, to say the least, obviously, with a lot of their guys aging and they caught a bunch of players this past offseason, Levis could be a real quick, I don't want to say like fix in the sense, but that could be a really quick turnaround if Levis comes in next year because I'm assuming he's going to sit for a majority of this year behind Tannehill and kind of plays up to what people think he could be. Like I said, I think there was too much talent in this guy to get him to the second round, even the, the early second round. And said, I think that certain teams maybe just weren't prepared for him to possibly fall outside of the top 16, let's say. And I also think that some teams, maybe if you weren't completely sold on Levis, you're not going to take him then. And that may like cut you out of next year when Caleb Williams and Drake may are potentially on the board at the top of the draft. You don't want to take a quarterback kind of back-to-back years in the first round. I think that might've scared some teams away, but yeah, I think Tennessee did a great job of trading up for Levis. Obviously some people also say he's got to protect his body a little bit better. He kind of plays like a linebacker at the quarterback position. People kind of draw the Carson Wentz comp, which I think is a fair comp to see honestly how he plays. He does tend to kind of overextend plays, try to try to hit a home run on every single play, but yeah, I think it's a good spot for him in Tennessee to go kind of sit down. And he kind of just feels like a Mike Brable quarterback, if that makes sense. Maybe that's like kind of like a weak analysis in the sense. But, yeah, he's going to kind of have a chip on his shoulder. Um, 
obviously was a transfer from Penn State, so he's used to kind of maybe being doubted in his career. So hopefully for Will Levis, he's able to take this. I felt bad for him, obviously, in the draft room and ESPN kind of showing him 30-plus times or whatever. That's never fair to him, especially. He almost like – you know what I mean? These guys get lied to and stuff like that. Like, there's probably four teams that Will Levis – like that told Will Levis, oh, you're number one in our board and stuff like that. And then different plans go different ways. And Will Levis, unfortunately, had to sit in the green room all day on Thursday night. But, hey, it doesn't matter where you got drafted. It matters how you perform and how you finish. So hopefully for Levis, he can make a home and a name for himself in Tennessee. But, yeah, I really like the fit for Levis. Uh, just an unfortunate how it played out for him. But, yeah, at the end of the day, I think he'll be all right. And I really like this move for Tennessee as a franchise. I think this really helps them. See, I think – I don't know as much about Will Levis, to to be honest. But, I mean, obviously, this guy was on everyone's mock mock draft to go in the first round and honestly pretty high, like top 10. So, I mean, if you can get a guy in the second round with, with this talent, I think it's definitely a good pick. From Tennessee, I just think it puts a, it definitely puts a lot of pressure on the Titans to develop this guy because, I mean – you take a quarterback back-to-back years, and we've seen Malik Willis, and clearly he is far, far ready from from being like a, a quality NFL starting quarterback. And then, I mean, like you take quarterback the next year, when in, when in twenty twenty four, like you said, you're going to have guys like Caleb William and Drake May coming coming into the draft, two guys who are supposed to be like generational talents. Yeah, I just think it puts a lot of, a lot of pressure on the on the coaching staff to develop. Levis and try to make like make him your your franchise quarterback. I mean, you don't move up in the in the second round when like the following year you have you know you have two studs coming out unless you think Levis could be your franchise franchise guy. So I I like the aggressiveness. I just I just think like I guess I'm a little bit of like head scratching just because. I don't know. They must be confident in Levis to to be able to be their guy. But like, if he's not, I think the Titans kind of screwed themselves over a little bit. Because if they didn't love Levis, you could have just waited. Obviously, you're not gonna like tank, but you could have, you know, just prepared to to get a to quarterback, get a quarterback in 2024, and if not, like trade up in 2024 and get that guy. Instead, it seems like almost the last two years they've kind of you know, I'm reached. I went like just taking a quarterback for the sake. Just to take one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think, yeah, hopefully for the Titans sake, Will Levis could be that guy and come in with a major chip on his shoulder. But like, if not, if he turns out to be a guy who's not that guy, I think the Titans are going to be in trouble. And if they're want to, they're going to want to have to get another quarterback. I think it's going to have to be through free agency or trade because they've drafted two guys in the last two years. Yeah, that's a really good point about kind of just taking a quarterback to take one because the big argument could be with Levis, right, that if you liked him so much, why didn't you just take him at 11? Like, if you really feel like this guy's your franchise quarterback, then why did you let him slip that far? And I understand, right, like maybe then there was a better understanding across the league that Levis was nowhere near what some people were mocking him to be. But that's just kind of my thought process on the sense of that. Like, if this guy was that good and you really believe in him being your franchise quarterback, then why would you ever risk passing him up at 11 to then take him at 33? I don't want to say that's maybe a signal if he's not, like you're not 100% sold on him, but maybe it is in a way. Um, But, yeah, we'll have to see how these quarterbacks play out. Like I said, I think we're in a consensus agreement that 
Anthony Richardson's probably set up the best to succeed and probably is on the best team day one. I think some people maybe say that the Panthers, but I don't know, the Panthers skill group, we'll get into it a little bit later when we talk about who they brought in. It's just like a little old and there's just like, there's a bunch of names, but like maybe not like as spectacular as you would think. Like Miles Sanders, Adam Thielen, DJ Chark, Paris Marshall, LaVisca Chenault, and the new rookie that they just brought in, Jonathan Mingo, like isn't really the best collection of NFL talent in 2023. So yes, Mm -hmm. They have a great defense and stuff like that, but their offense, like, there's definitely a lot to be desired with their offense. Core, we'll move on to some of the other parts of this NFL draft, and we have to stay first in the first round because we have a couple head-scratching moves. We'll start first with the trade-up, and we kind of alluded to this earlier. The Houston Texans, there was a lot of back and forth before the draft on if they would go Will Anderson at number two or if they would take their quarterback. They say, why not both? Arizona was a prime candidate to trade out of number three. They do find a trade partner. Their new GM, I forgot his name off the top of my head, did a phenomenal job here moving down from three to 12, then moved back up to six to take Paris Campbell, the top offensive tackle in this draft. The Texans give up pick 12, pick 33, which is a near first-round pick. That ended up going to the Titans for Will Levis. They also then gave up the 2024 first and a 2024 third-round pick. And the 2024 first-round pick, is the Texans' pick. Mm-hmm. I think this is an insane overpay. A lot of draft value charts, too, will tell you this was a steep, steep price to pay. I think I am extremely high on Will Anderson. Some people aren't. They don't think maybe he lacks like the elite traits that some of the Von Millers and the Khalil Max coming out of college do. You look at his tape from especially 2021 and how dominant he was. 2022, of course, he was just as good, but a lot of double teams and stuff like that. This guy is... By far, if you ask me, I need Jalen Carter gives him a good run for the money. But I think he's one of the safest prospects we've seen in the past couple of years. But again, to trade up for somebody that like that much for a non-quarterback, I think is an insane price to pay on top of the fact that it's your first round pick next year. Now, I understand that maybe you're like, oh, well, we're not going to take a quarterback next year, even if Stroud sucks. But like still with Williams and May both on the board and they're already being talked about as two really good quarterback prospects to trade your future first. That probably is going to be like a bottom five to bottom eight pick I think is absurd. And like, I know you can't forecast the future, but if this pick is within the top 10, I feel like it's a bit like, even if Anderson has to be an all pro, if this pick is in the top 10, like that's why I, I think this is a really steep price on the Texans. I think I heard there was a kind of a power struggle between maybe the head coach and the GM on who they wanted to take Stroud versus Anderson. So they were just like, why not both? But I don't know. That's maybe that that is not the way to make a decision by getting both and severely overpaying. Hats off to the Cardinals, a team that now next year has I mean, because the Cardinals themselves, their own pick might not be good. They have two huge chess pieces possibly for next year's draft. I mean, I could also mention Marvin Harrison Jr. as being another guy who teams would want to trade up for. But yeah, I don't know about this for the Texans. And I'm really, I'm really high on Will Anderson. I think he's deserving of the third pick. I don't know if Will Anderson is deserving of all of that that Houston gave up for him. Yeah, I mean, he pulled what you did in uh in fantasy last year. Yes. Mm-hmm. Najee and, and Christian McCaffrey. But you know And for the for the listeners who don't know how that panned out, it wasn't good. Not good at all. And the guy <laughs> that I traded with actually, who trades like he ends up winning the whole thing. So remember that. Uh, yeah, you know what I mean? Um, who is it? Casario is the GM there. Should have just taken a look at our fantasy league corn. He would have known how this played out. No, nah, definitely. But, I mean, you look at this, 
I think the instant winner in this has to be the the Arizona Cardinals. I mean, you look a lot of times when a team like trades up, I feel like they the team who trades back, I feel like is honestly like getting the better end of the bargain just because they get I'm sorry, it. I'm sorry to cut in here. I'll keep up with a lot more than maybe like the analytical stuff with like pick value wise and stuff like that. It's like a, a telltale rule they'll say is always to trade back, like trading back the surplus value that you get from trading back is incredible. So that's mm-hmm. always a thing already. And then, so already you're at a disadvantage trading up. So then if you're going to trade up for a non-premium position, and I don't want to say edge rusher isn't a premium position because it is, but like when you're trading up for like a non-quarterback, let's just say it's very, very hard to win a trade. So even when you're trading up for a not, when you're trading up for an edge, it's very difficult to win trades like that value-wise. Mm-hmm. Thing in this position, like you go out and get Will Anderson and you're expecting him to come in and and be like the next face of Houston, like, like J.J. Watt, like just come in and be an absolute dog. But the thing is, they literally trade back in the draft, the Cardinals, and take the Texans' first-round pick, which was the 12th pick. They move up to six. So they basically got a first-round pick in 2024 just for moving back three spots. So I think this was definitely a really good trade for the Cardinals. And, you know, you made really good sense when you said that that, that pick in 2024 – I mean, like, what is really the ceiling of that pick? Like, I can't see this Texans team winning more than, I'll be, like, six games. Like, really Demeco Ryans ran an incredible defense in San Francisco, but, and I get that, like, Houston is a rebuilding team. You do not give up. On top of, like, we'll say the 12 was just a swap them up. They gave up basically two first-rounders because they picked, him 30, picked from 33 and a 20-24 first of a rebuilding team. Like, those are two guys who, like, at those picks, you're probably trying to draft like starters for your franchise for the next five to seven years. And yeah, what is like the Vegas line for Houston to for wins this year is probably going to be five wins. Mm-hmm. Like, like, do the Texans think they're going to win eight games? I, I don't. I don't think they're going to win eight. I think. I also am not really high on CJ Stroud. Hey, maybe this will come out to be a freezing cold take. I'm not really high on CJ Stroud coming into Houston. And just like flipping, flipping this franchise, I'm really like not that high on that. I think it's going to be a little bit of a process, especially. I mean, D'Amico Ryan's is defensive-minded head coach. I think this defense will, you know, I think they'll take. I think they'll take a little bit of a jump. Last year they were 20th in the NFL in sacks, so you know I expect the defense to improve a little, but I don't think as a as a team cumulatively like that they're going to take that much of a jump. And I don't think that – I think that pick next year in 2024, it's going to be in the top 10. It, it easily could be in the top five again. So I think the Texans are just, you know, I think they're just kind of searching right now, trying to trying to make maybe the, their fans happy by bringing in two top three picks. And, yeah, I think Will Anderson is going to be a stud in the NFL. I just don't think, like, the investment for him was necessary. When, when you're – when you've been this bad of a team – for, for like, you know, a few years. And, you know, you could use those picks to keep building instead of investing in Will Anderson, who might be good, but how much better, like, is the team going to get in the, in the short-term period? Yeah, and it bothers me, too, because the Texans do have a lot of real good young pieces, and Will Anderson in a Demeco Ryan's defense is going to be great. Like, 
a lot, like you saw Salah trying how he's like trying to basically model his defense now with the Jets, kind of how he had it in San Francisco. So Ryan's obviously going to try to do the same thing in Houston. So Will Anderson, the easy comp right there for who's he going to be. It's going to be like the Nick Bosa in San Francisco and what he was to that defense. So to be honest, Will Anderson's probably going to play real good there. And they got a couple young, real good pieces. Jalen Petrie was a stud last year, second-round pick. Derek Stinley at the cornerback position. They have Mechie. They have Damian Pierce. They signed Dalton Schultz. Obviously, Tunsil's locked up. Ke- uh, Keontae Green, I believe is his name, or Keon Green. Keontae Green might be the – or Keontae George is the guy on Baylor. Forgive me for that. <laughs> so they got a couple young pieces here, and now we're just trading future assets that could be helped to build out this roster. It upsets me a little bit, puts a lot of pressure on the Texans this year to win a bunch of games that I think maybe was unnecessary had they not up and get Will Anderson. So hope for the best for the Houston Texans. Hopefully they're building something right. But, yeah, they definitely have to be a little bit worrisome how that first pick how that first rounder turns out next year. Cool, let's go over some other head-scratching rules. It's been clear to a lot of people that running backs has been extremely devalued over the past couple years. I've seen this past offseason by Josh Jacobs and Saquon Barkley both getting the franchise tag. Running backs and committing to them for long periods of time is just not how business goes anymore in the NFL. Two running backs then go in the top 12 of the NFL draft this year. Bijan Robinson first at number eight to the Atlanta Falcons. Tyler Algier ran for over a thousand yards as a rookie out of BYU. I believe he was a fifth rounder last year. Arthur Smith loves to run the football. We get that. Bijan, I know he's this incredible prospect and he should have been a first round pick, but number eight with all the holes that Atlanta has, on top of the fact that Atlanta in the past two years has taken a tight end and a wide receiver in the top 10. They de- Jalen Carter, I know there's a lot of the off-field stuff, but even if you didn't want to go Jalen Carter, there were other players available on the board that could have helped your team better than Bijan Robinson. I think when you want to take a running back, that should be a pick that we're ready to win and the running back is the last piece. Kind of like how the Cowboys took Zeke a couple years back. Like they, You have to contend right away if you're going to take a running back, if you ask me, on that rookie contract at a premium pick there. Bijan's a great talent. He's going to go crazy in Atlanta. I'm not sure of the volume that he's going to get. Arthur Smith is going to run the ball 40 times a game. That's what I got basically from this. With Desmond Ritter has some sneaky speed too that enough people don't give him credit for. I don't like the pick at all. I think he's going to be a workhorse Bijan. I just think from a value standpoint, they could have improved their team a lot better. But I will say this, the Atlanta Falcons rush offense is, it was one of the most efficient this past year. And it is going to be probably the most efficient this year because Bijan, Algier, and Desmond Ritter running a little zone reads and stuff like that. That is going to be a very fun, fun scheme to watch, but Maybe not necessarily the best move in terms of team building. See, yeah, you look at the the Atlanta Falcons last year, third, third in rushing yards per game at almost 160, 160 per game. You bring in a guy like Bijan, yeah, that might take you from third to, you know, first or second. But like you said, this team has other holes. Uh, I mean, they upgraded their secondary this this offseason, but I mean, still could have went somewhere else on, on defense. And, yeah, I mean, Bijan is a playmaker. He's definitely going to make that rushing offense even better. It's just, I don't know. Um, I I can't say, like, it's a bad pick because I do think Bijan is a stud, like a like really good running running back prospect. I think it's got to be the highest running back pick since, since Saquon. Saquon. Yeah, for sure. Saquon in, uh, was that, like, 2018 or 2017? Mm-hmm. Around there. So, 
I'm not going to say I hate the pick because I think he's such a talented player. I just think it wasn't the smartest pick. Like, you could have went somewhere else and upgraded your team. Instead, you're kind of building on something that was already a strength and trying to make it, like, even more dominant when you weren't even – like, you just weren't, a, a like, a good football team last year. But, yeah, I mean, Ritter, John, Algier, and then you got, you got London on the outside, um, Pitts for – like trick plays and gadget plays. So, I mean, there's no doubt that this this Falcons team is going to be fun to watch on the offensive side of the ball, but I don't know if, like, Bijan is going to, like, result in the Falcons getting, like, that many more wins. But I'll give I'll give the Falcons that. They're going to be a fun team to watch this year because I think Bijan is a generational running back talent. And, yeah, he's stud over 1,500 yards this past year. Um yeah, he's gonna he's gonna get his in Atlanta, but I think they could have went other routes, maybe on the defensive side of the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I mean, again, I hate to talk bad about the Bijan pick as well as the Will Anderson because you could argue that those were the two top prospects in this whole draft. The NFC South is wide open too. She would have loved to see maybe Atlanta like build their team out fully, like at other areas of weakness rather than running back. I don't think people would say that running back was a major need for Atlanta, but. Hey, who knows? Maybe that Arthur Smith believes that he could run his way to a division title. We'll have to wait and see. Jameer Gibbs, then, was even more of a surprising pick at 12. This guy was potentially maybe going to sneak into the first round. I think Gibbs would have went in the first round. I think people look at his receiving versatility and his potential to maybe play in the slot as such an asset that it's kind of the way that the NFL is shifting towards maybe the running back position. So I think he would have definitely went to – a playoff teamish like picking in that area, maybe like Buffalo is just an easy guess. You know what I want to say? I heard the Jets actually were interested in Gibbs too, and potentially would have taken him as well at fifteen, which is an, an interesting note to defend the Lions a little bit. They are a team, if you ask me, that actually could have taken a running back in the first round. Like, I, if they if the pick was tw- Bijan at twelve, I would have been okay with that. Like, this is a team that won what nine games last year. They had two first round picks. That's a team where I think you could justify taking a running back. So I actually won't knock them as much as other teams will. Now, do I think Jameer Gibbs at 12 was an extreme reach? Yeah. But if the league was a lot higher on Gibbs than other people, than like mock drafters, and I, I understand it a little bit. Again, do I love – do I think you're optimizing the value of the 12th pick by taking a running back? Absolutely not. But I can understand them taking a running back a lot more – with one of their first one of their first round picks, then I can Atlanta at eight. Um, now, if their pick was better at eighteen too, I think a lot of people wouldn't give them as much backlash for it. And I think people didn't like their pick at eighteen as well. I don't know. I, I'm interested to see how they use Gibbs because they did trade DeAndre Swift. We'll get to that later. But David Montgomery there as well. So Gibbs isn't going to be this workhorse back, which is why I think to take a running back like that in the top twelve is crazy. But I think it can be an interesting weapon. Ben Johnson's one of the best offensive coordinators in the game, so I'd love to see how he utilizes Gibbs. Clearly, they have a plan for him. But, yeah, I'm – again, I don't love the pick, but I actually think even though Bijan is a superior prospect to Gibbs, I think it made – like, the Lions could have made a running back pick is what I'm trying to say. The Atlanta probably shouldn't have at eight. So, what I mean, if Gibbs went at 18, I don't think a lot of people would really be complaining for the Lions. I think it's the fact that he went at 12 – even over a guy like Christian Gonzalez, that people are like, what? But yeah, as a prospect, I think Gibbs is going to be a really good NFL player. I think that his speed, explosiveness, and his pass-catching ability is going to really propel him to being this really good weapon in the NFL. So like I said, it's not an optimizing value pick. I think they should have went different routes if they wanted to do that. 
But I think Jameer Gibbs is a really good football player. And like I said, if he if they would have went at 18 with Gibbs, it would have been a lot better. Yeah, I think Bijan's – like you said, I think Bijan is the best prospect. But, like, Gibbs, I think, is actually going to be utilized pretty well. I think you look at this Lions offense. I expect Dave Montgomery – you know, they traded DeAndre Swift to Philly. I mean, hometown kid and, of course, another Georgia Bulldog. But I think Jameer Gibbs going to – to the Lions isn't like I think it definitely was a reach, but I could see like Gibbs is not as much like a pure workhorse back as like Bijan is. So I think they're gonna utilize him more in the pass catching game, more of just like a change of pace type of back. And I I expect Dave Montgomery to be the you know to be more of the workhorse in this in this offense. So I, I Gibbs honestly does have some some explosive speed. I'm not going to like give comparisons, but like just watching him, he honestly has a little bit of like, like a Camara or like mm-hmm. Jamal Charles, honestly, just like that type of speed and that type of like explosiveness and ex- um ability to make guys miss. So I, I think the pick, you know, it is, it is a little bit of a head scratcher. I think you probably, yeah, you could have got him at 18 easily. And but I think the the plan for Gibbs when you take guy when you take running backs this early like even if it's a crowded backfield like the the Lions have Montgomery the the Falcons have Algier like you take guy this early there these guys are not gonna not be involved in the offense they're gonna they're gonna be heavily involved in the offense I expect even from day one you take a guy that early so I mean yeah both these guys are definitely playmakers. And that's why, like, I can't say they're bad picks because they're both really good football players. But, yeah, I agree with you, though. I think the Lions at 12 made more sense than the Falcons at 8. But they're both they're both definitely still still reaches. Yeah, because like, like we said, I mean, it just the way that the NFL is valuing the running back position, it's very difficult to justify taking one in the first round. We'll talk about some of the other running backs real quick that I maybe thought were head scratchers or thought were really good picks. I'll go with a pick. That I thought was really good. The kid from Texas A&M, a, a chain, or I, I forgot ex- exactly how to pronounce his name. He had a great game. This was definitely two years ago. It was in uh, – it was one of the ball games. It was against UNC where he ran crazy against them. Um, this past year it was good. Texas A&M was kind of a mess, though. Listen, this kid can fly, and to put him in a Mike McDaniel system in Miami, I think it's an awesome fit for him. A head scratcher pick. I love Zach Charbonnet, the former Michigan Wolverine, went out to UCLA. I think his game's going to translate well to the NFL. Him going to Seattle, though, in the second round, I picked 52. Seattle had a great first round. Why are we taking a running back, Seattle? You just took Kenneth Walker last year in the second round, and he proved to be a pretty good back. I don't love the fact that they double dip, especially that early. Like, I would have been fine if you would have wanted the running back in the fourth or fifth round. You know, the running back with almost a top 50 pick is definitely a little bit head-scratching for me. And I'm curious what you think about that. Like, I like why? Like, Kenneth Walker was good, and I, I know he was injured a little bit last year, but I know he lost a shot penny. But, like, the running back class was deep. I think you could have gotten the backup in round four. Like, do they not like Walker then? I mean, Charbonnet – I think, well, yeah, obviously was good at Michigan. I don't know. I think a lot of the running backs is – it's a little bit head-scratching. I think it also has to just do with, I mean, the – like the – not like the – I'm not going to say life expectancy, but like the the career success of a running back, it kind of is not that long. Like it's short. So maybe – I don't think that they dislike Kenneth Walker because he was really good in his 
in his rookie season, but it's kind of a position that you can replace easily and then come and go. I mean, it's a lot of wear and tear, but I mean, obviously Kenneth Walker only going into year two. I do think it's a little bit of a head scratcher, but I just think like the running back position is just a position that teams are starting to see. Like you can never have, you can never not have enough depth. Like it's not like quarterback where you're just going to, Oh, we're, we're good. Um, Receiver kind of similar. I mean, if you, you, you have like two to three good receivers, you're not going to take a guy like that early because, I mean, you want to get him involved. So, But I just think like running backs, it's it's kind of turning into – obviously you have your Derrick Henrys. Who, the Titans did draft a running back. But like you have your Derrick Henrys, your Josh Jacobs, like your absolute workhorses. But there are a lot of teams that want to go by committee and, and change things up. So, I mean, maybe that's what Seattle is planning on doing. And, you know, maybe just eliminating some some wear and tear on uh, on their running backs. Yeah, you're right. I know that, that I get the idea of building out the strength of the running back room. But that's just like, again, it, it just bothered me a little bit because I thought Seattle had such a great day one. And then, I don't know, I just don't maybe necessarily yeah. love the pick. But hopefully, hopefully they prove me wrong. And hopefully Charbonnet, I mean, I think he's going to be a really good pro. I would have liked him on a lot of other teams and stuff like that. Seattle, I'm not necessarily sure, so we'll have to wait and see. We'll move to the wide receivers going the pass catches. Four straight went in the first round from picks 20 to pick 23. They were Jackson Smith and the Jigba at 20 to the Seattle Seahawks, as we just mentioned. Quinton Johnston goes 21 to the Los Angeles Chargers. Lamar gets some help in Baltimore with Zay Flowers going 22 to the Ravens. And then to round it out, Jordan Addison, number 23 to the Minnesota Vikings, all right before my New York Giants pick. That's besides the point. Core, out of the four, who is in the best spot to succeed? We'll go with, and then maybe it's the same answer, maybe it's not. Who's going to be the best of the four? Yeah, I mean, if, if I'm looking at this, I'm honestly going to go with, I'm gonna go with Jordan Addison at, at 23. I think the departure of Adam Thielen allows for Jordan Addison to come right in, in a good offense. Justin Jefferson is going to be seeing a lot of double teams after his – spectacular 2022 season. So I think Addison in Minnesota is honestly the best fit. And I expect him to to come in and be a, be a playmaker right away. Obviously they have KJ Osborne, even, you know, Jalen Rager, but I think, and they have TJ Hawkinson, but you know, I think Addison, uh, a former all American at Pitt was Caleb Williams, number one option at USC. I think he's going to come in. To, to this offense and, and be a, be a difference maker right away. Yeah. I mean, I hate to just have to like agree with you and not really offer that much more, but you hit the nail on the head with, I a hundred percent agree with you. I think you look at the other three receivers. I mean, Zay flowers probably isn't the third option, but in Seattle, JSN is clearly the number three option in Los Angeles. Johnston's the number three or number four, even if you want to throw Eckler in there, you look at, Baltimore, they don't really throw the ball a ton. I know Odell's there, Nelson Aguilar, but Mark Andrews also there as well. So it just seems like Addison has the easiest path, right, to maybe in a 1,000-plus yard receiving season. So, yeah, I definitely like the fit there for Jordan Addison. You mentioned former Belitnikoff winner, two at Pitt. So I like him playing opposite of Justin Jefferson. I think he is definitely set up the best to succeed and maybe will potentially even have the best career out of all of them. Some of the later-round picks score that I definitely want to mention that I really like, Jonathan Bingo I mentioned earlier, Getting some A.J. Brown comps, obviously both former Ole Miss receivers. He goes round two to Carolina. I think it's a good spot for him, too. I mentioned Carolina has a lot of, like, B-tier receivers in their receiving room, kind of old, too, with Adam Thielen, 
DJ Chark on that side, maybe aging a little bit, but then Terrace Marshall, unproven. So I think Mingo can step in and really be Bryce Young's potentially number one receiver, which would be awesome for a rookie like that to get that production out of him. I love Jalen Hyatt going to the Giants. I think that they desperately needed speed on the outside. Am I necessarily sure that Jalen Hyatt's going to be the receiver who comes in and be over a 1,000-yard receiver from day one? No. But I think how he complements their wide receiver room, especially with Darren Waller as well at tight end and Saquon in the backfield, he gives the Giants offense an element that maybe they necessarily didn't have in Daniel Jones an option down the field alongside Darius Slayton. I think my favorite receiver pick, you could argue, is Josh Downs going 79 to the Indianapolis Colts. Anthony Richardson had some accuracy issues. So what better way to give him an awesome slot receiver who's always open? Downs is projected a second-round pick, fell a little bit because he played in the slot primarily, but he was a real good receiver for UNC these past couple of years. Obviously, Sam Howell two years ago and then Drake May this past season. So I love what they did there. I think him in the slot between Michael Pittman and Alec Pierce has a nice little room in Indy for Anthony Richardson to work. Yeah, I, I like those as well as Charlie Jones. I'll give a little bit of a shout. He went to the Cincinnati Bengals as a receiver from Purdue. Had a really good year there, and I think he could potentially be a nice upgrade over Tyler Boyd there. But, yeah, those are some of my other – receivers that I really like. I'm curious if you have any others or if you just want to kind of comment on some of those because I definitely covered a bunch. I was a big fan of the uh, the Hyatt pick by by New York Giants. That they got him late too. I mean, he was projected uh, like to go like in like the 40s or the 50s. I know some people are maybe a little bit concerned. They might be a one-trick pony. I know the Dallas Cowboys receivers coach is talking some smack to him about yeah. that. But I'll prove him wrong. That doesn't bother me. I think that – it is definitely going to be a little bit of an adjustment. I mean, when you play in Tennessee's spread offense, you know what I mean? The hashes are wider in college football. You can definitely take a lot more advantage of space and stuff like that. So maybe it will be a little bit of a learning curve. But again, this guy's an absolute burner. And I think that, again, I picked what, like 73, I think was the exact number that they got him at. I think it was definitely some great value there. But sorry to cut you off, kind of. No, he's definitely a really fast receiver. And I mean, just off that clip, I mean, the confidence from, from Hyatt. I mean, he's just saying, like, I'm, what's, like, my best trait? And he's saying, you're fast. And he's like, I could run routes, too. So I think that's something that other coaches, you know, besides the Dallas Cowboys coach, like. And, you know, he gets to play the Cowboys twice now. And I think that's definitely, you know, going to have a chip on his shoulder in that game. But, yeah, I mean, Hyatt's really the guy who, I, like, stuck out to me besides, like, the, the top four guys. You know, maybe I'm a little bit of a casual, but I like that Hyatt pick. Obviously, he is like was like a popular guy in college just because he was fun to watch. But I think getting him in the third round was certainly a um, was a good value pick for the Giants. I mean, yeah, again, you could people could debate this guy, but he went for 200 plus yards and five touchdowns on the Nick Saban defense. Like you don't do that by accident. And oh, same sure. thing. I mean, the guy he was the Blittenkoff winner too this past season. Like he's he's more than again he's more than this guy who's just going to run straight down the field. I'm interested to see how the Giants implement him into his role because I don't think he's going to be this receiver who plays 90% of snaps. Like we mentioned a couple of the first-round guys. Like Addison is going to play probably 90% of snaps this year for Minnesota. Jayon Hyatt will not be that in the Giants receiver room. It is kind of crowded, but there's a lot of room for elevation, if that makes sense. Like Hodgins is there. You have Darius Slayton. You have Paris Campbell. You have Sterling Shepard. Jamison Crowder brought in. I'm definitely missing a couple names. Like there is a lot of room for these guys to grow and separate themselves. So I think Hyatt's going to be able to kind of differentiate himself from the rest of the pack and play a lot and become a big weapon for Daniel Jones down the field. Core, we've kind of talked about the running backs. We've talked about the receivers. We've talked about some of the top of the draft. 
Let's bring it out a little bit more general. We'll talk about kind of the rest of the draft, some of our favorite picks or some steals that we definitely like. Core, I'll start first. Being a kicker yourself, I mean, you had to love this past weekend. I mean, first we get a kicker on day two, which doesn't happen. Michigan's own Jake Moody at pick 99. Do I think it's a little bit early? Yeah. Jake Moody was absolutely money for the Wolverines throughout his tenure there. Probably the best kicker to ever walk through that program. I mean, the 49ers didn't have a lot of holes. So to replace Robbie Gold was definitely one of them. I think Moody will definitely have a long NFL career. You also had the kicker from Maryland go. You had Aunt Carlson's brother from Auburn was also drafted. And I believe, okay, so, that was, so there's three kickers and three punters. So you get six specialist score. I mean, that's got to be kind of heartwarming. I mean, hey, it just brings it just it just shows, you know, kickers people too. And, you know, they're they're important to the game at, at some points. I guess you could say it's heartwarming, but yeah, I mean as a kicker myself, it's always nice to see guys get picked. And I mean, yeah, Jake Moody day two, I definitely love to see because you know, usually kickers aren't coming off the board. I mean, besides like a guayo, I feel like they're usually not coming off the board until like the earliest, like fifth, fifth round, besides like Sebastian Janikowski, who somehow was a first round pick back in the day. But yeah, usually they go like fifth. So it was nice to see uh, Moody and some other kickers uh, go off the board in this one. Yeah, I honestly don't mind to a kicker going in the fourth round. Moody, in his case, the end of the third. I know the 49ers had a bunch of third round picks because of the comp picks from the recent coaching hires there and general manager hires. But I don't like. The, like Jake Moody's projection, like you would hope that he's in San Francisco for like I don't want to say like, 10, but you know what I mean. Like his career projects a long time. We see the importance, obviously, of kickers week in and week out, and having a dependable guy. So if Moody is who you project him to be, I don't necessarily see that much of an issue if you have a surplus of picks like the Niners did making a pick like that. So, yeah, I mean, again, maybe I'm a little bit biased because I've seen Jake Moody up close, but I definitely like that pick and good for the kickers and stuff like that. We see how increasingly they're becoming like obviously it's such a scrutinized position and stuff like that because every single kick that they go out for yeah a ton of pressure and it's almost just like a given that they're gonna hit it which is unfair to them but yeah good for jake moody and good for san francisco hopefully they found their kicker of the next decade another one core that we're definitely gonna agree on that we had to talk about before we talk about certain teams that we like and another steal christian gonzalez going number 17 to the patriots i mean the patriots Kind of had a little bit of a master class. They were picking at 14. They trade back with Pittsburgh. So Pittsburgh can go in front of the Jets and take the last offensive tackle, Broderick Jones. They still go back to 17. They get their corner, Gonzalez, a guy who was at Colorado, then transfers to Oregon. The second best corner in this class behind Devin Witherspoon, who went fifth overall out in a Bill Belichick scheme where he's going to play a lot of men. I think it's awesome. They got um, Jack Jones, I think, was their other corner who kind of came out of nowhere last year, played real good ball for them, helping replace J.C. Jackson. I think Gonzalez is going to be awesome in New England. And then to the cherry on top was that they kind of screwed over the Jets a little bit there. So I think that was a great pick and definitely a popular steal across the NFL community I think people would agree on. I thought it was a great pick. Uh, Christian Gonzalez, I mean, he just got – Really just has everything. Like he's you watch him play, rocking that number zero. You know, first he's got like the swagger to him. Two, he's just a smooth, very smooth runner. Smooth, smooth. You know, just able to to cover receivers, and he's good. He's got good ball skills. So I mean, he's honestly got the whole package. Um, at corner, and I mean, you go to an organization like the Patriots, who 
I mean, you look, they kind of do develop cornerbacks. I mean, Stephon Gilmore, um, J.C. Jackson, and Jonathan Jones had a good rookie year. And now Christian Gonzalez comes in, who honestly, from a prospect perspective, probably better than all those guys. So Mm -hmm. I I think Christian Gonzalez was definitely, I think he was the best pick in the first round. And I mean, I think it was just a big time win from Belichick and the and the Patriots. Yeah, for sure. Another guy that I definitely want to mention before we get on to maybe more teams generally. So we might like skip a couple of players here who we thought were steals, but we'll definitely talk about them in the team halls for sure. Uh, Osiris Torres, Terrence from Florida, the offensive the guard or center there. He goes to Buffalo in the end of the second round. I thought that was real good value there. Buffalo clearly got dominated on the line of scrimmage against Cincinnati in the playoff game. They have to be able to run the football better. It's kind of been a common theme of Buffalo's offseason the past couple years. So to get a guy like that in the second round is projected maybe a late first as well. Had some real good film at Florida. Definitely will help Josh Allen and company there. So I thought that was a really good pick from Buffalo as well. Core, we'll talk about obviously the Philadelphia Eagles when we first talk about team halls because that's what we have to talk about here. Obviously, the big connection will be the Georgia Bulldogs. They bring in Jalen Carter at pick nine, who people will argue is the best player in the draft completely. Nolan Smith at 30. Keely Ringo at pick 105, who they trade back up for. I mean, just right there, that's an incredible haul. I think what people don't understand enough is that with the culture that Philadelphia has brought in, they can afford to bring in a guy. And their success that they've had, they can afford to bring in a Jalen Carter. Like, I understand why a team like Atlanta has to pass on Jalen Carter. Maybe a team that's not as established, as many veterans in the locker room. Like, when you're Philadelphia, you have this culture built, especially with Jalen Carter being a Georgia alum too. You have the familiarity with Nicobe Dean and Jordan Davis and stuff like that. It just seems like a perfect spot to take a guy who maybe has some off-the-field concerns and then kind of like decompress those concerns and those worries. Like it won't be as big of a problem in Philadelphia as maybe it would be if Jalen Carter went to a Houston or went to a Seattle. So I think that's what enough people don't understand that the Eagles have done such a good job of building a culture that you can afford to bring in a player like this where Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham will be so closely intertwined with his development, not only as a football player, but just as a young man as well. And that's why culture is just such a big aspect of you have to build your culture in your locker room and then you can bring in other people to this and kind of like acclimate them into what you want to do. So I think that the Philadelphia Eagles don't get enough credit. And that's why the Philadelphia Eagles are able to take maybe more risks than other teams can when it comes to a certain player. And that's why you could be like, oh, I can't believe Jalen Carter didn't go to the Raiders and stuff like that, or like they passed him up and stuff. But like they don't have the same locker room that these other people have. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like not as easy to just put somebody like Carter in to certain locker rooms. So hats off to the Eagles and what they've built. And their reward for building that is bringing it a top talent like Carter back to Philadelphia. And then, like I said, I mean, just to add to that first topic, Nolan Smith, two at 30, real good edge rusher, maybe fell a little bit. But again, the same thing with him. If some of those concerns are maybe who he is as a person and stuff, bringing them Bulldogs back together in Philadelphia will definitely help. Yeah, I think you make a great point there with with the Eagles leading the NFL by, by 15 sacks over any other team. So let's say Jalen Carter comes in and – you know, I mean, he, he, his off the field issues and stuff like that, and he just doesn't turn out mm-hmm. to be the talent that that he that he is. You have so much other pass rush depth and defensive line depth that you know you're still going to be a top team in the NFL regardless. And if Carter comes in and he is like the stud he's supposed to be, 
then, you know, you just have another guy and it gives you more freedom to go out and upgrade at other positions. So I think Jalen Carter at nine, I mean, yeah, that's why the Eagles are able to go out and draft a guy like that. Yeah, I mean, their depth, too, in the sense, you're 100% right, also affords them to be able to miss where a team like the Chicago Bears who trade down, the Bears are this rebuilding team, and they need help everywhere. Like, can you really take a chance on a guy who, yeah, he may be great and stuff like that, but you have to take a safer prospect. you got to make sure that you've got a prospect who's for sure going to be there for the next five to ten years, whereas a guy like Jalen Carter and his red flags maybe necessarily won't be the perfect fit in your organization. They also made the move, like we mentioned, to trade for DeAndre Swift. I believe they gave him a fourth and then they swapped seventh-round picks. I actually didn't love the trade from Philadelphia standpoint. I think that for one year, Swift, the fourth-round pick may be a little bit too much of a price to pay, which is maybe crazy to argue, but I, I think it is somewhat of an argument. Swift has definitely struggled to stay healthy, but when he is healthy, he's proven to be a real capable back. Philadelphia lost Miles Sanders. They bring in Rashad Penny, who's an underrated rusher. To complement him with Swift, it's a real good backfield. You could argue it's probably an upgrade over Miles Sanders. And yeah, I mean, again, they take advantage of other teams kind of lacking, like, the Lions take Gibbs before they trade Swift. So now they have no leverage with Swift. And the Eagles can call them up and they can make a move like this. And that's just good capitalization by Howie Roseman. Howie Roseman, also a Florida alum. I did learn that this past weekend, which I thought was very funny. Obviously, Florida and Georgia are two of the biggest rivals there. So you're saying on ESPN how he's probably like not invited to the Florida alumni meetings anymore, which 100% is probably right. I mean, this guy literally has rebuilt the Georgia football team in Philadelphia. But, yeah, for Swift, the kid who was actually from, played his high school ball in Philadelphia, a nice little homecoming for him. And, yeah, I mean, from a team perspective, he's a great fit in their offense. And, again, him and Penny is a really good one-two punch in the backfield next to Jalen Hurts. Mm-hmm. I think I, I personally like the, the investment in DeAndre Swift for one year. They really didn't give up a lot. You would say a fourth-round pick is valuable, and it definitely is. But that's the thing. When you're the Philadelphia Eagles – Howie Roseman has definitely created like a culture and just a such a source of talent at pretty much like all positions that he can go out and, you know, he can afford to give up a fourth round pick. And let's say Swift even doesn't even have a great season and he gets hurt and he's gone after this year. I mean, you still have other options at, at back, but I mean, you bring in Swift, he's still your most talented running back on that team. I know you got like Rashad Penny, but they'll definitely be able to utilize Swift in different ways because when he is healthy, he is a pretty dynamic playmaker. And like you said, um, coming back to Philly, I think also helped. Obviously, Swift doesn't have the decision, but I think it just made more sense to bring Swift back home. And, yeah, I think right now you look at the Eagles, it's like their general managing. It's kind of on like another level compared to, to other teams in the NFL. Who would you who would you say is better, the the Philadelphia Eagles in the NFL or the Atlanta Braves in, in the MLB? I'll go Harry Roseman in the NFL, but you're right. Uh, Alex Antropolis, I think is his name in with the Braves. I mean, yeah, he's incredible too. And it's just like these guys are just like I don't want to say like, they are more innovative though. Like even like with the Braves, that like they just think differently then some other teams and stuff and around the bush and like just not this non-conventional thinking that when you're first to the punch and first to come up with these things, then you're going to get 
the best results. Like not a lot of people, for example, in baseball would extend some of these young players and take the risk on paying Acuna $100 million that early into his career. But by doing that, now, since you're first to the punch and first doing that, now you're going to see a lot of teams copy that, just like you're going to see a lot of teams try to copy some of what the Eagles do, even with how they structure contracts, and they're going to be able to reap the most rewards for that. You made a great point, too. The Eagles can't give up a fourth-round pick for DeAndre Swift, and it not really hurt them that much. Why? Because they're so successful at other places, or because even just last year, the reason why they were able to take Jalen Carter is because the Saints traded up from like pick, like I, I don't remember, like they the Saints wanted a first round pick last year, so the Eagles traded it for a first next year. Like it, it ended up being like the 18th pick in the draft too last year, and they ended up using it on a tackle. Like just think about like again that that's what Jalen Carter the trying to do. That was a complete bonus pick for the defending NFC champions was to take Jalen Carter, who's presumptively the most talented player in this draft. So again. They just take advantage of other general managers' mistakes, and they're very innovative, which is why Harry Roseman has kind of built a real good contender in Philadelphia and looks like that for the foreseeable future. Aside from Philadelphia, Accord, what's another team that you really like what they did this past weekend? Yeah, I think the – you know, I liked what the Pittsburgh Steelers did. Honestly, getting uh, Broderick Jones in the, in the first round, and then, you know, they got Washington from <clears> – <throat> From Georgia, who, I mean, he's just a weapon. I mean, you got to see make him as, like, another offensive tackle, to be honest. I mean, he's just an absolute beast. And, I, yeah, I would say they definitely did really well. I thought – I just thought the Ravens did well. We'll get into this. I mean, signing Lamar Jackson before and then going out and getting a top receiver in the draft in Zay Flowers, I think with that defense that they already have, I think those two – the AFC North stock up for sure. And then the Browns, I mean, they go out and get um, Rower Jones from from Ohio State. So I think overall the AFC North did really well in this draft, uh, especially those three teams. Yeah, the AFC North, I really like that. Pittsburgh, you didn't even mention. You didn't even mention. It was a homecoming for Joey Porter Jr. They brought him too early in the second round. So those top three picks of Jones, Joey Porter Jr., and Darnell Washington were definitely – I mean, presumptively those guys are all top 30, top 40 talents there. You get them all in the same class. Real good. Pittsburgh's new general manager, Omar Khan, has done a great job since taking over last year after the NFL draft. I'll be biased here. I love what the New York Giants did with their first three picks. Deontay Banks is a perfect scheme fit in Wick Martindale's system. And if you haven't seen Maryland's game against Ohio State, they gave them a really good test this past season. And it was because of how physical their corners were and press men. And Deontay Banks put on the best game film by far against Marvin Harrison Jr. last year. They had him in the first to play across from Adoree Jackson. is awesome. John Michael Schmitz in the second round for, as a center, a gaping hole for the Giants in their interior line. He should be a starter for that for years to come. I mentioned Jalen Hyatt. They also added Eric Gray as a nice running back depth, the guy who ran for 1,300 yards of that last year at Oklahoma, which was nice. I mentioned Seattle doing a good job in the first round, too. Jackson Smith and the Jigba at pick 20. Devin Witherspoon was one of my favorite prospects at Pick number five was also very nice. For a team that I disliked, we'll keep it kind of short, and maybe I just didn't agree with. We mentioned the Lions earlier taking the running back at 12, and maybe that wasn't the worst pick in the sense. And, like, maybe – like, I, I should say this. It was justifiable because of where their team was and how they maybe didn't have as many holes as some other teams, and they were a nine-win team, so you could afford to take a running back. The Lions are probably going to be favorites in the NFC North, you could argue. So taking a running back maybe not the worst thing. 
But then to follow that up with a linebacker and a tight end with your other top 34 picks, they took a linebacker at 18, a tight end at 34. So to combine that with the running back, that's just way too much head scratching, if you ask me. That's not taking advantage at all of contract value, like the rookie contract value and the surplus that they could give you. So I didn't love that. They did get really lucky that Brian Branch fell to them late in the second round. I believe they got him at pick 40-something, 45 maybe. Brian Branch is an absolute stud. You could argue that Brian Branch, if they were taking him at 12 or 18, would have still been like a fine pick. But, yeah, I didn't love their haul. They did take Hendon Hooker at pick 68. If Hooker would have become their starting quarterback at any extent of time, I think that this draft class completely changes. Yeah, 25 is old, but, I mean, it's not like that old for a quarterback. And I think – 68 overall. You don't know, like Jared Goff had a good year, but I, I think that Herndon Hooker, I mean, kind of does have some like underrated, you know, like potential to come in and be a good quarterback in this league. I'm not saying he's going to be a superstar, but I personally don't hate the pick with Herndon Hooker. I don't like, I think Goff is QB one, but I think like Hooker's also older than these guys. He could come in and uh, be serviceable quarterback like I don't think he's going to be like Anthony Richardson but I still think he could be pretty serviceable behind Jared Goff yeah that's fair I definitely think he could I think it's definitely that pick also like how healthy will he be like, if he can play right away and at least be that backup right away that I think that definitely adds to the pick and how steep will the learning curve be him playing in that spread offense in Tennessee that is anything but a pro offense so that might be a little bit of an adjustment so we'll see what Hooker has mm-hmm. in store with that Core we'll finish off with some quarterback news I mean, we've talked about this so much time, but they both officially happened this past week. We'll start first with Lamar Jackson officially ending up back in Baltimore that we kind of alluded to. He ups Jalen Hurts on Jalen Hurts, got five for 255. Lamar gets five for 260, 185, guaranteed. Something that it seemed like was going to happen, and then maybe for a second we were like, all right, could Lamar possibly be on the move? He's going to be back in Baltimore, so all is right in the world. And Core, the one that hits closer to home for you, Aaron Rodgers is officially a New York Jet. I thought the Jets got a little bit ripped off here. The conditional first-round pick next year is only on if Rodgers plays 65% of snaps, not if they go to, like, the conference championship, as well as that swap moving back in the draft costed them Roderick Jones and instead costed them to reach on McDonald, who was a good edge usher but probably wasn't going until the late in the first round. With those two officially being back, the AFC picture is stacked with quarterbacks. But, yeah, Corey, you can kind of take your victory lap now that Aaron Rodgers is officially a Jet. Hey, you remember a few months ago I was talking about Aaron Rodgers and, like, I didn't think if he was still invested in the game of football. This guy's going on darkness retreats. He just seems like he doesn't care. But, hey, I mean, this guy comes to New York in his press conference. You know, he's looking a little bit cleaner. He's already out working with Garrett Wilson and other receivers. He's working with Brees Hall, you know. He just brought in his friend Randall Cobb. I see, like, memes. It's like – they passed on Jackson Smith and the Jigba to take Randall Cobb. I mean, <laughs> I don't know if that's Rogers' decision. Uh, but yeah, I think, you know, obviously as a Jets fan, I'm starting to starting to buy in more. I think Rogers, I mean, at age 39, the thing about them is like, you don't know how much more Rogers has. I think you have about two, maybe like three years max. I would say two years is probably like the window you got this year and maybe next year with Rogers, but yeah, I mean, if Rod- Rodgers still does have the talent, you look around on that that New York Jets roster, and it's a really good, pretty complete roster all around, in my opinion. So I think the addition of Aaron Rodgers does make Jets, I mean, I think they can compete. Honestly, now 
with anyone in the, in the AFC. I know my opinions have changed, but you know, I'm just a Jets fan. And I just like, I've liked the response from Aaron Rodgers. Like he even said like the, the Super Bowl trophies are looking a little like lonely and there's not a lot. And he wants to change that. So I like how he's approached New York. Like it seems like he wants to be here with Nathaniel Hackett. Uh, so I'm honestly pretty hopeful for Aaron Rodgers. And then yeah, Lamar Jackson, well-deserved finally getting contract. I mean, the Ravens have kind of just been paying everybody besides Lamar Jackson. He literally went out and got Odell Beckham, who missed this team million guaranteed. Yeah, this guy's getting 18 mil guaranteed while your franchise quarterback, who when he's played, you have been a top team in the league and he hasn't played. That's the reason you missed the play. They made the playoffs this past year, but he's the reason why you uh you haven't been able to like compete for Super Bowls. So good for them to finally sign him and surround him with some some talent. Yeah, I'll stick with Rodgers here, just talk about a little bit more. I love what you said about him being buying it. I mean, he's going all the games, too, in New York, the playoff games. Yeah. He's getting, getting with his teammates. Like That is a really good sign. I think that was the big concern with him, maybe being just lack of days going, just going to the jo- like going to the Jets and just like, you know what I mean? Like kind of like not putting in 100%. But it, and it seems like he's kind of is on like maybe a journey to kind of like prove the Packers on and prove they can win outside of Green Bay. So that'd be awesome for him. I'd love to see that. I, and you really look at the Jets. I mean, the offseason that Cincinnati and Buffalo had were kind of lackluster. And then the Jets roster outside the quarterback position really didn't have many holes. Maybe their offensive line was a little weak. They did just bring in Billy Turner, though, who was a former tackle in Green Bay. Now going to the Jets, that should help shore up one of the spots. Like, they are right up there in the AFC with talent-wise. If they could get Rodgers, not even at his MVP form, but maybe an upgrade from last year. If you can find a middle ground between 2021 Rodgers and 2022 Rodgers, I think that the Jets are definitely a Super Bowl contender in the AFC because there is just a lot of talent on both sides of the ball. I'll leave off with this core. The AFC quarterback, the NFC quarterbacks, it's Jalen Hurts and nobody. The AFC, one of these quarterbacks, and now I definitely saw this, I'm stealing this from somebody. One of these quarterbacks will not make the playoffs next year. Mahomes, Allen, Burrow, Rodgers, Herbert, Lawrence, Lamar, Deshaun. Like, that is crazy. Like, one of those quarterbacks has to miss the playoffs. I didn't even mention Russell Wilson. I didn't mention Tua. I mean, even if you want to say Kenny Pickett and Jimmy G, like, I know now I'm starting to – those first eight guys, that is absurd that one of those quarterbacks will not be making the playoffs. It just shows how stacked. The AFC really is, and then you have those young quarterbacks and Richardson and Young coming in. It's why the quarterback position is so coveted in this top of the draft. It's why we focus. It's why we took thirty-five minutes to dissect these quarterbacks because you just look at the AFC, the AFC, and what they have at that position. It, it, you have to have a dude there to win games. Mm-hmm. Quarterbacks are most obviously the most important position in football. Yeah, if you don't have a good quarterback, it's tough to compete. And yeah, it's crazy that how stacked the AFC really is. I mean, you look at the NFC and it's it's not even a clear-cut guy who is, like, the best quarterback in the division. I mean, I think it's got to be Jalen Hurts at, at one. But, I mean, like, after that. Who's the second-best quarterback in the NFC? You know, I, I honestly – that's tougher now. I, I'm going to go Dak Prescott, honestly, just because, you know, he's, he's shown some experience. But you can make arguments for Dak. Can I also make an argument for Fields, Derek Carr, Fields, Fields, 
Yeah, Justin Fields, you can make the argument. I mean, it's crazy. No, no, no. I, I like, like, like. I, I guess I can see an argument for that. I think that one would require a very lengthy argument. But still, like, it that that's absurd. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I just Fields would be. Fields is arguably a top ten quarterback in the AFC. Kirk Cousins is an arguably top ten quarterback in the AFC. If Derek Carr was still with the Raiders, Derek Carr would be a top ten quarterback in the AFC. Daniel Jones got a bunch of money and stuff like that. Daniel Jones was in the AFC, arguably a top ten quarterback, maybe not even a top ten quarterback in the AFC. It's just crazy. And these guys are all contented for the number two spot. Geno, if you even want to say efficiency, well, you know what I mean. A Stafford, if you get a healthy Stafford, I think you put Stafford at. Above all those guys, but you have no clue what Stafford you're getting. To be fair, I'm really getting from Stafford. I mean, Derek yeah, Carr is all right. Carr on the Saints. Yeah, that's true. It's it, it's crazy though how wide open the NFC is at the quarterback position. Besides, honestly, it's crazy how wide open the NFC is just behind San Francisco and the Eagles. To be fair, like there is a significant drop off there. I can't wait to see like what team just like catches fire at the right time. Listen, I hope it's my Giants. And I mean, people would say that they hope it's the Lions too. That'll be a popular pick with Goff. Goff was real good last year, so who knows? People will say the the Cowboys too. They brought in Mozzie Smith, maybe a nice retool that could be, potentially be it. But core, that's where we got the whole offseason to talk. We got to kind of dissect how these teams will look even more. And I mean, there's still a lot of veteran free agents out there for that. Maybe teams will sure up some spots with them. But with that being said. That's going to do it for today's episode. Core was a little bit of a long one, but I mean, you got to love talking the NFL draft. One of the best times, as we said, of the NFL season. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, we haven't been on in a while, had to make up for some lost time. Yeah, I mean, NFL draft, big time event, had to had to make it a little bit long. Of an episode, and we had two quarterbacks since the last time we came on, two top quarterbacks in the league, really, uh, come on and sign with the team they were on or, or go to a new team. So definitely had to make this a long one. Yeah, for sure. And with that, obviously, I mentioned earlier to the NFL season, like kind of dwindles down a bit. I'm sure we'll definitely be on at some point throughout the offseason. I know the schedule release will be a popular one. And of course, if news drops, we will be back on the pod here. But yeah, that's going to do it for today's episode. Be sure to check us out on the Instagram at the deep ball underscore. Take care, everybody. Have a good one.